And now on to episode three and the final part of Will's journey. I hope you can see throughout that Will's had a map and a compass. Compass has always been about his Super North Star and that has changed on a number of occasions. Remember, Super North Stars are not fixed. They're to draw you forward so that you have actions and adventures. And Will's had a number of those. He's always had a strategy. Sometimes that's been quite detailed. Sometimes it's just been enough to take him forward to the first two or three milestones. But he's always had a plan with contingencies in place. He's been creative and he's had a team around him. His values are clear, as is his team code of conduct. Will talks about his family, friends, colleagues, people that have helped him on this journey to be successful. And his warrior spirit, that mental and physical resilience, I think is clear throughout this journey. His map has changed different terrain, whether that was as a, a market trader, whether that was a publican in the military, whether that's been a journalist or a film star, all these different elements have just been slightly different maps from which he's had to navigate across. But I think you'll find it's been quite an exciting journey and I hope you've enjoyed it as I have. Will. I love the adventure in the hotel and we've covered lots of different areas there, but I want to start to move into the next stage. And of course, you've gone from that particular situation and you go into, into film. Just tell me, tell me how did you actually get into film and some of the experiences and your thoughts about being in that industry? Well, it was interesting because um, I came back from Sierra Leone. Um, I knew some guys in the film industry. They used to do um, pop videos and stuff, and they were in, started in the TV industry together. Um, and I was uh, chatting to them, and they said, we're doing a TV series. Would you come uh, onto the set and show us... Uh, technically show us how to wear the uniforms, the, um, the assault groups, uh, so that we could handle the gun properly and all that kind of thing. Maybe dangle someone out of a window, look a bit of you know, abseiling and whatever. So I went as a technical advisor. So I went along, um, great atmosphere, it was fun. It's completely new, new, new uh, concept, so I was enjoying it. They said, well, you know, you look Look good in the uh, the outfit. So been there before. <laughs> how about uh, how about just being in the background? I went, yeah, sure, why not? So you know, I was there, and then it all went wrong. Really, <laughs> then they offered me a speaking part. <laughs> <laughs> it all went downhill after that. How yeah. did you find that? So that, again, learning that skill. Did what what happened? You you start the speaking part. Just how did you how did you learn that? What was the key aspects of that? What what was happening there? Well, I was watching my peers. I was just amongst the people, soaking up the atmosphere, listening, watching the actors how they changed when the camera started, how they you know they used to say if you're not in the frame, you're not in the film, which is basically when 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 they're shooting, you can be the best actor in the world, but if you're not actually in the lens. You're not in the film. And you came across quite an, an interesting mix of people, didn't you? And you're yeah. still friends with a lot of them. Yeah, now yeah, I know. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then we, we did a TV series, um, got invited to do a couple of feature films with people like Ray, Ray Winston, who's a great, you know, good friend of mine still, uh, and Jude Law, Johnny Lee Miller, some people with, you know, amazing um, film careers. So it was a really enjoyable time. 
And again, great that you were just learning from your peers. Again, that wonderful thing with a network, yeah. learning things quickly. Yeah. Not because they've got the experience. They don't. You haven't had to wait to go to Rada for ten years. You've no. now got to pick it up quickly. Because yeah. you're on in the frame in the next session. Exactly. And you often t have told me that what always amazed you about the industry was how they could set things up. So tell me about that. Well, that that's a, a key factor because. To get a film made, firstly, just just the the organisation to try and pitch a film, get the finance and get prepared to make a film is tough, as I know now, because I'm trying that myself. Um, so that's the first stage. Then you've got to get the coordinate, the logistics of getting all the people there, the equipment there, the technicians there, the cameramen, everybody that's involved in the actual production and the actors. So it's a huge amount of uh, logistical uh, support uh, and um, and Strategy. momentum. The momentum to get the film on 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 schedule is really tough. And I re I, I was um, amazed. It's the seven P's. You know, yeah. um, you have to have prior preparation and planning. It that's the key before the film runs, before they say action, before the clacker bill comes down. That's it. But then once that's done. After that, there's post-production, which is not very technical. It goes on and on and on for months after. So it's a huge endeavour to make a film. And what I also thought was great was you also spoke about the other things that actors do. Because obviously, I'm only going to be in the frame for maybe yeah. a few seconds yeah. here, a few seconds there. You also spoke, spoke about all the other things that they're doing, their, their personal development in some respects. What, tell me about that. Yeah, you, you could be sitting in the, uh, you know, the, the area for... Uh, for waiting, and there'll be someone listening to a, an iPod, maybe learning a language, maybe learning another another part for another film, um, and they're waiting to be called, and they've got to perform that. As soon as the action goes, they they've got to perform here at that point, and then they go back and learn the next the next thing they're doing, um, or they could be fiddling with a guitar or. Writing a song, you know, it's amazing the, the depth of talent that's around. And again, what I love about this moment in time with COVID is that it's given people the opportunity to learn online, to do a guitar, to do a piano, to learn a language. All of a sudden, you realise I can do all this other stuff. It's the same in the military. And what I love about it when you say sometimes you're on point, sometimes you're not, we do a lot of training, a lot of development. Mm. We then, even in conflict, we're on point for a short period of time, thank goodness, and then generally we're out of that, which is where we can learn all these other skills and learn, I, I, I certainly, I learned law and psychology and languages, just again to remember it's a journey, life's a journey of development, isn't it, right the way through? Absolutely, and you, you, you're always um, trying to further your career or, or your interests or your hobbies or whatever it is, um, and people have got a diverse take on things which is great because now you go to slightly other diverse element of filmmaking and tell me about when you um, became a stuntman <laughs> yeah well I received a call from a good friend of mine who's a well known stuntman um, and he said look I know you, you, you're not doing that anymore you're doing something else but listen to this and he pitched the idea we're going to uh, do the new Batman film that's coming up um, and it's going to involve aerial stunts. We're going to be going out of uh, Hercules on cables and we're landing on another aircraft. Or it may look like that on the film anyway. <laughs> I said, hmm, sounds interesting. So, so I said, okay, fine. Well, let's go and do it. 
and it was a, it was really interesting and the amount of time there was engineers there was there was technicians there were trying to work out how to actually do this because it never been done before and we know about parachuting what's called a hookup is when you go out of a plane on a cable and you're stuck and you can't release and that is an emergency we were doing it on purpose which is quite strange and it's a phenomenal that is a phenomenal part of the film actually because yeah. I remember us talking about it and then seeing it live it was phenomenal but but of course you realise it's not in the Bahamas where you anticipated it being yeah. what happened there yeah I was imagining skydiving in you know Florida or the Bahamas somewhere nice and warm you know, doing hacky sack with my shorts on and then getting my kit on and go for a skydive. That's how I envisaged it. It was nothing like that. We're in the, the, uh, the, the Scottish Highlands. Um, fortunately, it was warm on that occasion, you know, but uh, it was mountainous, there was crosswinds, it was difficult terrain. We were flying, there's no DZ as such. When you're flying and you're trying to get this done, it's got a huge circle. The Hertz doing a circle and they're trying to film. And if something goes wrong, you you you, you have to take what you what you get on the way down because you don't know where you where the emergency is going to start or, or end. Um, and on one occasion, you know, we had a we we cut away um, and we were looking for a landing site. We came down crosswinds in the hills and. Uh, we almost had a mid-air collision because people were trying to find their own way. Um, and I hit the ground at a rapid rate of knots and uh, broke my femur in three places. And I know, and the recovery that you had thereafter was significant. And one of the things I always want to point out as well at this moment in time, because quite a few people I've spoken to have had significant injuries in their life. But what I will always say is that positive mentality, that resilience, just means that all of them, including you, have come back far faster as a result of having the right mental resilience strategies. And again, that determination to recover from these injuries and actually get yourself back where you are now, running again and being a pretty good, pretty good shape, which I think is important to, to point out. Yeah. Which now leads me back into... Again, you've, as I said earlier, you've had a, a love affair with journalists and journalism and therefore just take me through because you've been through so many different environments from Bosnia to Afghanistan to Iraq to a number of other areas as well. Take me through a couple of occasions when, again, you've seen what journalists do to give us the right information at the right time, their bravery, their ability to deal with risk. Well, give me a couple of examples that you think, yeah, that's when it really was at its best. Well, well, they're a prime example of people searching for excellence. I mean, they are top of their game. These are people that um, are leading the world with their stories. They're breaking, they're looking for breaking news. And they, and they bring the news in the best possible way, the most um, uh, interesting and informative way. They are very, very intelligent, very driven people. In fact, they're, very, they're so driven sometimes that it's almost sometimes difficult to be, to be around because they, they, want, they want their story. And they, anything gets in their way, they're not really interested in. But that's great to be around people like that. We, we're, all, we're always like around people in a similar kind of mindset. You know, we have to get the mission done. And th that's where they are. They've got a mission to get their story. And they push the, 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 uh, the boundaries all the time. There are no boundaries when it comes to getting a story. You go round, over or under to get it. 
and they're on the periphery of dangerous places. You know, a war zone is a dangerous place. Hey, it's, it's written on the can. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, and they are in a place which is a no man's land, in effect. We didn't have uh, the embed storage, you know, where the journalists should go with the troops, and we didn't have that then. So you basically, there was a, there was a war going on or a situation, you fly in, they call firemen, you, you know, they go in and they hit the ground and they're looking for um, the information to get the story out. The logistics, the whole thing, they're working off a very, they, they've got a huge budget, but, but they don't have the infrastructure. Although they do build up an infrastructure of people uh, that they can call upon, but it is really, you know, you're putting it together as you're going, as you're going along. And you're, in, you're influencing, actually, political decisions, of course, because journalists yeah. are able to do that, and also military decisions, because you've been in situations where you've been right at the front where that particular journalist has now got a story out that means people have to take account of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're referring to the decree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah we with um, I was with Brent Sadler. We we spent a lot of time in Afghanistan together. We were in Tora Bora. We got a great relationship, a good bond, friendship. Uh, we trusted each other, uh, each other's judgment. I mean, he's a leader of his group. Um, you know, I was an assistant, uh, and um, he trusted my judgment in many many respects. So, we hit the ground uh, in Iraq. And um, we ended up deciding that we were missing the war. The war was going on in the south and we were in the north. So we decided to scoot on round and try and get the scoot, which is Tikrit. Tikrit, the home, the home base of uh, Saddam, um, the Republican Guard headquarters, etc., etc. So that was going to be the scoot. We, we navigated our way around there. Yep, it's over to you, Will. You know, Brent, you work it out. We'll get there. I'll say, fine. So off I go, we find a way round Mosul and down through some dangerous areas and, we, and we're coordinating with our information that's coming in to try and be at or around Tikrit when, this, when the southern force, the, the Americans were coming up to take Tikrit. So that was the key. We were trying to, for that moment, you know where the American troops land on the beach in Somalia all those years ago? Yeah. And he says, welcome to Somalia. That's what that moment we were looking for. It's quite a difficult thing to do. So we end up in there, in the week, we were there too early. We got out of there by the skin of our teeth. No questions about that. But you got right into the heart of that situation. Yep. You were able to see what was happening and you're passing that information. This is live reporting. I've seen the clip, yep. which I find fascinating. That live reporting back, this is actually happening. These are the tanks. This is the openings, the opportunities. And of course, that risk analysis, you go in, you get as far as you can, then you have a little signal that says it's time to leave. Mm. We spin around and we come out. Just take me through that coming out. We don't have to go into all the detail because I know mm. we have a bit of conflict, but you're trying to connect to a major force. Tell me about that as you go through. Yeah, we, we um, as you say, we, we, we did a U-turn, uh, 180. We were out of there at speed. Um, and uh, we escaped through the, uh, the roadblocks and we were heading at uh, north. Now, we thought, in effect, we'd left a danger area, but not really. And I, I, I got the guys to, uh, we, we'd been 
sending live feed through a satellite on the roof of the vehicle all the way through. So the, the, the whole opening fire at the ambush and everything else, it was all live in prime time TV in America. Um, it was terrific. It, we literally, we've been on air for about five or six hours live streaming. The Americans, uh, news, news agencies couldn't get enough of it. So we, we, we did a great job in that respect. We're trying to save our skin in the next respect. So, so now heading uh, north out of Tikrit, and it's you know these guys are loving the moment, but obviously still uh, anxious that we're going to survive. But my mind was thinking, hmm, in the military, I'm now got six vehicle convoy at speed heading north out of Tikrit. The Americans are sweeping up from the south. There's A10s in the air. And you know, tank busters. And I'm thinking, hmm, we look like a fleeing Iraqi group. So I said to Brent, quick, let's get patched through to the US command. I need to speak to somebody now. And you know, we did that. The uh, CNN was straight onto it, they patched me through. And I'll give them a brief. I said, right, we're, you know, six SUVs heading north in this location. I had a GPS with me, um, approximately this this speed, uh, so they could identify who we were. They had satellites, and they were watching all the time. Um, and we're friendly, we're a news crew, we've just been, they knew we'd just been into Crit, it was live on television. Uh, I said, we are now heading in this direction, um, give us safe passage. Because there was huge, great holes in the ground, bunkers where, uh, where they've been dropping bombs, uh, blowing tanks up. So it was only a matter of time until some, some pilot swinging round would think, oh, that's a nice target. Absolutely. We'll take them out. Definitely. Now, what I love about, again, journalists in general is that nice mix between there are some phenomenal women that are on the front line doing exactly the same as Brent was. Yeah. Take me through one of your, and again, you've got a great story, which I, I do love, about um, Yasser Arafat. Tell me about that particular story. Uh, yeah, I've been working with some brilliant, uh, for example, you know, Christian Anna Poor as well. You know, she's a great journalist, well known. Um, I work with her extensively. Uh, and she, they, they, they have got the same more drive than often. Um, very, very brave. They, they push the boundaries all the time. But then on this one occasion where I was working in, uh, on the West Bank in Ramallah, and at the time, uh, the Israelis uh, and the Palestinians were, were um, at a heightened state, and they, the Israelis decided they were going to isolate Yasser Arafat. And they did. They came in an incursion with tanks and everything. They closed the Ramallah down um, and they surrounded the whole of the complex. So um, having been in Ramallah when the incursion happened, uh, I was a uh, very good journalist, Michael Holmes, um, and we, we were on the streets cruising around in an armoured uh, vehicle, armoured Land Rover, long wheel based. Um, we shouldn't have been on the street. I mean, that's the, that's the thing with it. You know, the, the thing is that you're, you're in places you should not be all the time. And the, there's a curfew. No one's supposed to move. The Israeli troops have taken command of the whole area. They completely uh, surrounded the complex. Nothing was moving. But we were driving around in armored ammo. 
so there's a brilliant, um, a brilliant uh, camera woman called Margaret Moth, very famous in the business, well known in the business. So gutsy. I mean, honestly, she was right on the edge all the time. She got some amazing footage. Won so many um, uh, awards for her footage. Um, she was so brave. We were sitting there outside the uh, complex of uh, Yasser Arafat and she just jumped out the car, as she does. There's no control in her, she's gone. You know, um, well, I say that. We, we worked together, yeah. but she, she was out. I was in the uh, Land Rover with Michael Holmes and uh, we're trying to work out what to do. She's shooting film, there's the tanks there. The, the tank is sitting right on the gate. The, the Israeli troops are surrounding it and they've got two Jeeps, like American Willys Jeeps. Yeah. Uh, there's one at the front of us, one at the back of us. And these guys in the Israeli Jeeps are just smashing us from the back, from the front, just banging, banging, it's like bumper cars. I've got a strong Land Rover. And that's why I said the long words, it's a very strong Land Rover. So I'm taking the hits and pushing the car forwards, backwards. I'm having the, I'm giving as good as, exactly. I'm, give, I'm giving as good as they're giving me. Um, Michael Holmes was a bit concerned about the uh, situation, as can rightly so. Um, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I hear some kind of choir coming along. And I'm looking across, thinking, what the hell's going on here? And there was about 20 people dressed in white. And they were singing some uh, song, you know, like having a gila or something. I, I can't remember what it was. But they were singing in tune, by the way. <laughs> and they were coming down the road. And I thought, what a strange situation this is. There's all these soldiers armed to the teeth, a tank on the thing. And they, they're like a, um, a peace march. I mean, they've got all these banners and everything. And they're, they're really tucked together tightly and they're coming slowly towards us. Margaret is filming everything, uh, as she does, and the tank at the, at the, at the gate is sort of swinging his barrel, barrel round, left and right like a Dalek, not knowing what to do. And everyone was in shock. So I, I jumped out the car, because we were getting smashed anyway. Jumped out the car, so Michael come on. Shut the car. Jumped, uh, jumped into the uh, crowd of peace, uh, the peace uh, marchers. Margaret was jumped in with us. We got right in the centre of the peace group. Perfect. Surrounded ourselves with these white, white clothes. angels. Angels, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we just went with them. I thought that's probably the safest place. They're not going to shoot them down. <laughs> and we were on film now, you know. So we were fairly safe to a point. But you know, you, when you're passing a tank that close. And it's revving up. You're thinking, hmm. Oh. oh, no. It yeah. focuses the mind. Exactly. So we just went straight past the tank and then into Yasser Arafat's compound, <sighs> which, is, which is crazy. And nobody knew what to do. So we get in there and the, Michael interviewed Yasser Arafat. Nobody had heard from him for weeks and weeks. Uh, it was a scoop, a brilliant scoop. But what was really funny, look, at, this is funny. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, leadership without appointment. Yeah. So they did the, the, the amazing uh, interview with him, and, but we couldn't, trans we couldn't send the interview out. We had to get the tape out. Right, so now we finished the interview and they come to me, all the peace marchers, which would come in to, you know, give support, the news crew, they said, okay, clever clogs, you've got us in here, now get us out. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really say clever clogs, but yeah, kind of that attitude, yeah. laughing. 
So, uh, no, all right. So there's no way I can sneak out the back. We are completely surrounded. Yep. So this is when uh, I said, okay, we're going to have to go out the front. And I, I got a lot of ribbing out of this, I must admit. <laughs> we'll come to this. So the only way to go out was the front door. So I got a piece of, like, a, a pillowcase, a white pillowcase, put it on a piece of stick. <laughs> And I'll open it. Uh, yeah. I so didn't know I, about this actually. Yeah. And I said, uh, right, okay, we're going to go out the door together. So get everybody together as tight as possible. Link your arms together so you can't break that position. Because if one of you goes, uh, breaks cover, they'll open fire. Yeah. Right? So we've got to stay together at all times. Yeah. Are we clear on that? <laughs> and they said, yeah. yeah. I had to be clear on that because probably they open fire on me because I'm at the front. So I opened the door and I waved the white flag. It reminded me of some cartoon, you know, as I go out the door, I've got these hundreds of soldiers oh, I wish we had a picture weapons. of that. We would have been nice to have a picture of this. It was hilarious, yeah. So then we walked out really slowly, and I'm saying, steady, steady. And I looked over my shoulder to make sure they were still tightly packed together. Because there's Margaret shooting the film straight, straight into my face as I'm, I'm going, she's right at the front. And so that, that ran on the CNN, uh, you know, the sort of yeah, uh, the yeah, beginning of CNN news. Yeah. They caught me on film with a white flag. I got up. to see that at some stage. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was there for months and I got so much ribbing from the CNN crews over that. Don't give up, Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Again, yeah. it's the bravery, as you said, from a multitude of different areas, them getting the right story and then sometimes... Obviously, journalists get a bad press, but when they're in those kind of frames, they yeah. really are at the top of their game, as you said, yeah. those elite performers. Now, throughout your entire career, you've also done a lot of high-level protection and tasks for a multitude of different people. I'm not going to go into all of them because we would be here for all day. Um, but you've also worked with the European royalty, which I know has been important to you. What, what do you remember about that what what do you still sort of take from that particular time and the times that you're still in close contact with most of them well obviously uh, I, it was a privilege and a pleasure to work for them at the family uh, and I can say that the teams that, that worked with me on that uh, period was over over a decade more than 10 years um, I could say without contradiction, fear of contradiction, that they felt the same. You know, we would have gone the extra mile for them any time. Even now we would do it. Uh, they were a joy to work for. Um, they, they were very intelligent, and very elegant, and they had a wicked sense of humour. Uh, and that, they got on brilliantly with all the guys. Um, and you learned a lot as well from them, didn't yeah. you? You learned a lot about, again, that particular environment, of course, well, right, coming, from, coming from one perspective yeah. of being in, as I said, in the marketplace. You then see another world, and again, it just opens up another lot of opportunities for you. It did. And um, I learned a lot of diplomacy at that point because so you, you do need, you need to have a plan, as we know. Uh, you need to... Um, work with people um, and because you're, you're bouncing from one place to another all around the world uh, picking up contacts which I still have now um, and you you learn more about how to handle people in, in different environments you know sometimes what you want isn't what you're gonna get you know you, you need to you need to maneuver it it's not about negotiation it's just about uh, coming across in the right way uh, 
diplomacy, really. No, definitely. And actually, there is there is that. It is negotiation because, as you said, it's not just about, oh, it's what I want. Sometimes you've got to realise that actually this is the best for everybody. I, yeah, of course, I'd love to have it all my own way. Mm. But what I realise is I've got to give and, and learn to adapt the particular strategy. Yes. More importantly, great communication, great customer advocacy, which is where, again, we have relationships that last for a long time. And that's the key, isn't it? What we've been speaking about throughout mm. all of our different episodes on this is that you've had contacts and networks that have stayed the test of time because of that relationship, because of that great communication, because of the things you've learned. As you said, with these, with the European Royalty Group, you are still really close friends with them. I am, yeah, and they've, uh, they were always very generous with their friendship, and still today, still great friends. Now, we spoke about armoured vehicles, because one of the other things, and again, this is that great thing about your journey through life, which is one of the things I like to highlight, is the actions and the adventures that you've had. You're all, you've also been very successful in business as an entrepreneur and seizing an opportunity. Now, the armoured vehicle that we were discussing has been a bit of a passion of yours as well. Just take me through that experience of the commercial world um, and your foray into, into that area. Well, funny enough, yeah, it's a good follow-on because uh, my job was to... Um, I'll take you back to the Romales, but my job was the protection of the news crew, so I took it upon myself to to take uh, take over the armoured vehicle. I got it all sort of organised and etc, etc. So... When uh, after that incident near Ramallah, you know, the Israelis did they shot they shot all the windows out. They they shot rounds into the windows just just for the sake of it. They did it with an armored vehicle just to mess it up really. Um, so I, and then got in, involved in fixing the armored vehicle. And when I went to Iraq, uh, having the experience of working with the vehicle and the armoring and all these details, I had a I had knowledge of it. So. I, it was obvious, uh, I mean, when I was covering the news in Iraq, that was different. But when I went back, I was uh, aware of the lack of armoured vehicles in Iraq for the press and for um, the other agencies, security companies. And uh, I started to uh, suggest armoured vehicles for the press in, uh, in Baghdad. Uh, and also, um, you know, our friends... Are all running companies over there, as you know, um, leaders in their own right. And uh, I went round to them and said, what do you think of this idea or that idea, you know, to my vehicles? They said, yeah, it's quite a good idea. Because these guys running around in soft skin vehicles, heavily armed, with body armour and a helmet, um, waiting to get blown up by a roadside bomb. So it was a no-brainer, you need some armoured vehicles. Uh, and they quickly cottoned on to the idea um, and I worked with them for, for a number of years, probably six, seven, eight years uh, supplying vehicles. Um, I started off just buying second-hand vehicles all around, the, all around Europe and then driving them from places like Romania or Lebanon or wherever uh, and Israel, because that was the closest place where they made good armoured vehicles, uh, all the way to Baghdad. And we had a couple of uh, adventures, to say the least. Um, and then I got into uh, built, uh, building new vehicles, so I bought a share into an armouring company uh, in Israel, which is the closest place. Because you were mates with them now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they were my friends now. <laughs> they were never not my friends. <laughs> we're just on different sides. At that moment. At that moment. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that was it. And we you know, supplied vehicles into the team's uh, security, because as you know, once... 
once uh, the cessation of hostilities apparently had stopped, uh, the flood of security companies going into Iraq was immense. It was significant. Yeah, significant. So, um, and, and that was what uh, I did for, for quite a few years. And what I love about, again, once you'd been in that world, you'd understood about business and, again, opportunity. You then went to loads of other adventures, and we, and we could literally, again, talk for days on, on whether it's a gold mine or whether it's a security business or, or a multitude of different things, Will, which uh, has been fascinating. And you assisted me in my transition into business as well, which I was always eternally grateful for. But the future now, again, I always talk about this moment in time, which is about the future, our super North Star moving forward, as you know. Tell me what that looks like for you now. Again, you've got loads of experiences. There's still another couple of decades left, at least. What do you think you're going to be doing going forward from a personal and professional perspective? Well, I've, I'm, I'm working still within the TV and film industry now. Um, I'm making a film of my book, Once a Pilgrim, and then uh, I'm working on TV series as an advisor, scripts, and etc. etc. So, I know that's why I know it's a difficult task, it's very difficult to get things moving. Um, but I'm working on it, um, and it's in, it's enjoyable because over my career, for what it is, <laughs> um, I, I've got a lot of contacts now, and I, I can reach people. Um, and and work with them to try and get these projects off the ground, which is it, which is exciting. But I know it's a long slog because it's a it's a very difficult task. Great. And again, I know you were doing yoga this morning as well. So the fitness side of your can you tell? <laughs> without it, but I also know that there's somebody else you always want to thank in this as well. There's always been somebody else that's been sort of pivotal, to be honest, in all the things we we talk about when we're out doing stuff but you've got um you know, somebody else in your support team that has actually probably always been there to give you the ability to do this yeah what do you want to tell tell me about that well obviously my wife has been there the long long suffering wife for 30 years um it's been my i guess it's my, been my north star because navigation is about navigating against the constant isn't it absolutely and whether it's the sun the, the stars or, or, a, or a magnetic north where you're navigating in a direction from using that as a constant um, and my wife's been a constant for the 30 years uh, putting up with all my adventures and dramas and carrying on the hard work at home bringing up my, you know, my family um, covering all the, all the tough bits of life yeah without a doubt and again I, I know and that she's been instrumental in all of your success. And, and in and around our conversation, she's been involved in lots of things. I remember you saying, oh, and then I had to sell my car, so I had to go and ask permission to do it, and various other, yeah. other elements. Um, it, for me, well, the three episodes that we've had have been phenomenal. I've enjoyed every second. There's things that I've learned again about you. Um, and as I said, I think you do show, and I know you're, you do smile and sometimes... Uh, look at me in a strange way when I said that leadership without authority just shines through you and your adventures and experiences I hope encourage other people to realise they can do anything that they want to in life so thank you very much for your time thank you for